Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to cfact.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. I want to introduce you to Peyton Holiday. She is a young lady I was recently mentoring through the Media Research Center where I previously interned and they asked me to come back on a mentorship basis and help mentor a few up-and-coming journalists. And Peyton was one of the two I got to mentor in 2022. And she really interested me when we got to know each other about her research on a kind of lost historical figure by the name of Paul J. Rainey, who was an American businessman and avid hunter and even considered a pioneer of wildlife videography. And I'm going to let Peyton tell you all about him, but here are some of her kind of biography for you guys to get to know her. She is a native of Tupelo, Mississippi, and she currently lives and works in D.C. As a master's student of history, Peyton dug into the life and times of Paul J. Rainey and wrote her thesis on him. Seeing the life that he lived, Peyton was so fascinated that she couldn't stop researching Rainey and continues to this day. Her goal is to compile research with the hopes of putting together an official biography in the near future, and you can read her thesis at Liberty University, and it's titled Paul J. Rainey, Northeast Mississippi's Hidden Legend. I love when people uncover lost stories, lost historical bits, and add new life to them, and I hope Peyton's research into this individual sparks your curiosity in similar figures like him. And if you're listening and you want to reach out to Peyton and help her in this project, those of you especially in Safari Club or Blood Origins or similar projects, and have a bigger bandwidth than I do, you should talk to her and reach out to her because this is really cool that a figure as intriguing and complicated as he was an adventurous, kind of a life cut short. I think hunters and conservationists ought to know who this individual was. I'll let Peyton take it away from here. Peyton, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Why don't you introduce yourself to my listeners and what you are finding so fascinating about a historical individual who has some relation to wildlife conservation and outdoor filmmaking. Sure. Well, my name is Peyton Holiday. I am from Tupelo, Mississippi, which is the birthplace of Elvis. So I'm sure everyone knows who Elvis is. Um, I have been a history major in college and went on to get my master's in history. Love studying about just the world and how we got to where we are today and how history is so impactful to the world around us, even though we don't even realize it sometimes. And I also enjoy being in politics, being in the middle of everything and currently and living in Washington, D.C. and excited to see what directions things will be going. But one of my biggest projects with my master's degree was my master's thesis, which for those who don't know, it's a huge research project that takes about a year to complete with um, 
research and going to archives and piecing together information to pretty much put together a project on a piece of history that's never really been studied before. And I took my master's thesis and I'm planning to turn it into a bigger piece of work, but it's about a hundred pages of research and writing that I was able to put together on a guy named Paul J. Rainey, who most people have never heard of. So I heard about him only because his estate called the Rainey Estate is about 45 minutes north of Tupelo and Cotton Plant, Mississippi, up in Tippa County, Union County area. And that's, I drove by all the time when my grandparents were alive and we go visit them. And it was just a topic of conversation about who is this mysterious guy who owned this big, big, like not plantation, but a state in the middle of Northeast Mississippi when during the time of like post-Civil War reconstruction and the struggling county of tip, the struggling Tippy County and Union County area, and this guy, this big rich guy comes in and just buys him a bunch of land. It's it's a very fascinating story that's been very mysterious since he died in 1923. Could you give a brief synopsis of Mr. Rainey's bio? So you have told me, and I was glancing over your thesis and some of your scholarship and articles that have been written about your project that he was an avid hunter, outdoorsman, kind of lived on the edge was this very eccentric guy and he helped pioneer what you can consider like a precursor to wildlife videography or kind of Nat geographic style, like filmmaking, storytelling, filmmaking. So explain his background and then what he was really known for, what you hope that he gets to be known for in your research. Definitely. Well, I like to just kind of give a big overview of he was involved in pretty much every major thing going on in the early 20th century. And the biggest thing that he got involved in, I think his big hunting trip that he did was in 1910. He went to the Arctic and he brought back a polar bear alive for the Bronx Zoo. And it was all over the New York Times. You can just like put in Paul J. Rainey polar bear and you will see how big of a deal this was for the people in 1910. And there was an article that was run in Cosmopolitan magazine as well about his capture of the polar bear and how he brought it back to the Bronx Zoo. And it was kind of an attraction of like, whoa, this is something we've never seen before. And Rainey also worked with the American Museum of Natural History out of New York City. He went on uh, hunting trips and would bring back skins of animals and different types of hunting whatever he would bring back. He just bring these things back and they would be on display in the museum. And actually, if you go to the museum today, if you go to the Ackley Hall of Mammals, there is a display called the watering hole. And that watering hole is based off of Paul Rainey's watering hole that he filmed. And this film that he put together called Paul J. Rainey's African Hunt is not available to the public. Only the Library of Congress has a copy of it. And you can purchase a copy if you like. And it's a black and white film that was in 1912, so a silent film. But it was the first of its kind in wildlife filmmaking. And this went really big in across the world. In New York City, it ran for 15 months. And then um, the King and Queen of England were very impressed and actually gave Rainey a silver platter in honor of the work he did on this film. And then Henry Osborne, who was the head of the American Museum of Natural History, stated that it was the largest contribution to uh, animal wildlife filmmaking in the history of the world at that time. So it was a really big deal, and it was something where um, – 
everyday Americans had never seen the plains of Africa and seen elephants and lions and tigers. And this was a film that brought that to life to them in a way they had never seen before. So I think that's what made it such a big deal. And actually, if you're familiar with Martin and Osa Johnson, who were big wildlife filmmakers in the 30s and 40s, they loved what Rainey's work was. And actually, I believe it was Martin Johnson stated that what Rainey, what uh, Rainey did to film was what Jack London did to books. Just he was so fascinated with Rainey's films. So that gives you a quick synopsis of his life and sort of what he was involved in with film and hunting and basically started a lot of ideas that were sprung into bigger projects that we know of today, like National Geographic and wildlife filmmaking and all those things. Yeah, I'm reading among his affiliations. He was closely aligned with the American Geographical Society, American Museum of Natural History, obviously the aforementioned New York Zoological Society or the Bronx Zoo and the Smithsonian Institution, among many and there's, I haven't been to the Bronx Zoo, formally speaking. I've driven by it several times, but I forgot. And I think you meant, you reminded me of this, that there's a memorial gate in yeah. front of the Bronx Zoo. And the, he has other little traces of him throughout the United States. And like you mentioned, only the Library of Congress has access to his film, which is super fascinating. I don't know if many people listening or many of my friends in the hunting industry know too much about him. And I hope that through your research and all that, they do get to know about him. And in the hunting space, there actually is today, even you don't think about this, but I've talked to certain people who run zoos and are affiliated with zoos in Texas, for instance, zoos and hunters actually get along very well. Um, there's a lot of overlap. You have members of the board in one zoo that I interviewed and one CEO that I spoke to that said, oh yeah, we have hunters. They totally respect the wildlife. They're not for trophy game hunting or they believe in helping to restore African species and what have you. And oftentimes people think those two interests are at odds with each other. But given Rainey's kind of background, that's obviously similar to what you can even see happen now that those two don't have to be at odds with one another. You can support hunting as a management tool and support keeping alive and helping to restore endangered and threatened species. So I wanted to include that as well. What else from your research into Paul Rainey you think would interest my listeners, especially from like an outdoor conservation perspective? So you said he's made many, many trips. What among his travels was, I think, or is significant to you in your opinion? Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, he did a lot of significant travels in Africa specifically. And at the time it was British East Africa. So Kenya and Nairobi, and there's a hotel that he stayed at that is still around, the Norfolk Hotel. So you can still go to that in uh, Nairobi, Kenya. And I think it was just, he hunted, he was the first to ever take dogs to Africa to hunt lions with. And this was a huge thing where people told him, like, this is stupid, this is dumb, like, this cannot be done. And he almost was like, well, try me. And so he and his dog trainer, Er M. Shelley, who... They both went out to Africa with these hunting dogs that they had bred and just started training them with young 
baby lions and teaching them how to only go after lions and the way they trained them, they spent months working on this. And then they took the dogs out to hunt lions and it was a huge success for Rainey to where I think his biggest success was he bagged nine lions in 37 minutes. And it was just a, a rock star thing for him to do all this work. And then he, he came back to the States and there was some definite, um, I guess you could say retribution to what he did with his work. Like people didn't really appreciate it. And the, the British government did ban him from hunting lions in that area. But the ostrich farmers were like, no, don't ban him from hunting lions because we don't like these lions on our land. So it was a very interesting little situation there. But yeah, that was probably his biggest contribution was taking the dogs out to hunt lions and people didn't believe in him and he was able to succeed in that. Aside from some big game that he kind of brought to the forefront through his videos and through his hunts. What else was he involved in kind of from the conservation outdoor side, or you even mentioned to me that he had a foray in Hollywood kind of tied into his filmmaking. So explore those a bit more if you can. For sure. One of the biggest things with the Hollywood issue uh, or story is that when he went out to do this wildlife film, he found a producer and that producer was Carl Lamell. And that that name may sound familiar to you because he was the founder of Universal Studios. And because of the success of Rainey's film, both in monetary and also advertising success, they tried a different advertising mode. And uh, that able enabled him to make like $500,000 and he used that money to start Universal Studios. And you can, I haven't, you can look through the, I think it was like July is when Rainey's film came out and then Universal Studios was started maybe in September or October. So it was very soon after that. So it was obvious that he definitely used some of those funds to start Universal Studios, which obviously is still around today. And he, um, Another way he was involved in sort of the conservation, this was a little posthumous, but he he owned some land in Louisiana in the marshes with a guy who was big with Tabasco sauce. And when he passed away, his sister inherited that land and she ended up giving that land to the Audubon Society, which the Audubon Society had uh been interested in that land because there was a when birds would winter there and So Rainey was able to, even though it was posthumously, be a part of what's now the Paul J. Rainey Wildlife Sanctuary, where wildlife is able to live and be a part of the nature that they're supposed to be a part of because of Rainey's contribution to science in that way was through the donation of that land to the Audubon Society. And that's a practice that carries on today. And this was even predating I don't know if you know this, before the creation of wildlife agencies and people donating land to be part of conservation easements or protected lands for public use later on. But it seems like he was kind of a precursor to this before any conservation model was formally established because it wasn't until 1937 where there was a change in tides where Americans were more conscious about their land usage, not about hunting species to extirpation. So he kind of seemed like a leader unintentionally given his unforeseen death of course he died very prematurely according to your research at the age of 47 46 right 46 Um, 46, yeah so he died fairly young and so with knowing about that his sister took over and created essentially a wildlife sanctuary and it's twenty six thousand acres and it's in southwest louisiana so it's been around for almost 100 years now that's amazing and what species are known to inhabit this wildlife refuge do you know 
Did you That's do a research? Really good question. I actually do not know all the details, but I know there's a species of bird and it was something that let me see if I can find it in my notes really quick. I have it in the description. I have lots of notes. It's kind of bad. I'll help so, you with this. Is no worries. So I'm yeah. looking Wikipedia for all intents and purposes. Okay. Um, and also the official website. Oh, so yeah, it, it says um, alligator, deer, muskrat, otter, geese, and many others. But if there's a particular bird that you want to expound on, that's no, interesting. I was going to say, actually, um, I talked to a lady about the wildlife sanctuary, and here's my notes. It provided a landing place for the great migration of birds. And that is, it, st- it wasn't always that. And then because of this three-cornered grass that they're growing in the sanctuary, it became a landing place for the great migration of birds from north to south on their way through their um, winter or summer migrations. That's very cool. Do you want to expound on the Tipa Lodge? Is that where a lot of his hunts and kills or the, the skins or rather the uh, collections, his collections, is that where they're housed? So the Tipa Lodge is the rainy, what we call the rainy estate here in Mississippi. It is privately owned. And I do not believe that any of his skins are still there. They might be, but there was the trophy room. You can actually look this up on the internet. Uh, just Google like Paul J. Rainey trophy room and it'll show you he had skins and heads and just, it was absolutely insane. The amount of stuff that was in that room and the pictures show he definitely kept a lot of what he hunted, but he also gave a lot to other places And there was a museum at the Bronx Zoo years ago. It's no longer in existence, but it was called the Head and Horns Museum. The building is still there, but it's no longer a museum. And Rainey donated a lot of his heads and horns to that particular museum. What other traces of him are left, given your study into him? Because I haven't seen anything, any other scholarship comparable to your work uh, but what else is what else is available about him that let's say big game hunters or people who are interested in African wildlife and kind of discovering these kind of lesser known historical figures? What should they take away from your research when they start to learn more and read more? Sure, I think the biggest takeaway is just getting information out there about Paul Rainey. He's not very well known. I've definitely been trying to get the conversation started and letting people know, like, hey, this is a person who existed. Like, let's. Um, look up and get the Google searches going and people excited about it. Uh, One thing is he did name a subspecies of gazelle called the rainy gazelle. So if you are interested in African wildlife, that is a subspecies. And then he also was the film, like I said, is only at the Library of Congress, but I think it would be very fascinating if that could be something that was more of a public film, considering how big it was in the day, and that's over 100 years old. I think it's something that could fascinate historians and people interested in wildlife film history. And I also think another thing is the Bronx Zoo has the Paul J. Rainey Gates, and that's something most people don't even know who the, who the person is the gates are in honor of or in memory of and their memory of Paul Rainey and his work with the zoo and also him bringing the big polar bear back from the Arctic and just p- piecing together the stories and getting people excited and the conversation going and looking to see how, you know, he made an impact and started a lot of things in a small way that today we still see like donating land for wildlife conservation and, 
creating films of wildlife and just all the little things that he was involved in. And that doesn't even cover the surface of stuff like he was a he was a part of World War One as he was a veteran of the war. He went and drove an ambulance in France even before America entered the war. And he was a part of making sure that the Germans were out of the British East Africa hunting lands during the war. And he also, in 1918, was involved on the Trans-Siberian Railroad as a spy with the Bolshevik Revolution. So he is very hands-on involved in not just hunting, but also serving his country. That's really fascinating. And I'm in the process of reading your thesis to get a better understanding. You're going to be developing some projects, and I hope people listening, anyone who has the connections and the will how if you're looking for budding authors you're listening to one this is a really compelling subject i know peyton you've said you've had an interest to publish a book and someone listening may be connected to some book publishers so i hope they do reach out to you and help you explore this topic more because you should get the credit for giving life to this figure um and make sure no one takes it from you (laughs) in any event is there anything else about paul rainey that my listeners should know about aside from his really illustrious very eclectic career, obviously doing hunting and then serving his country and then obviously dying very early. Um, What else should people know about him? Yeah, I will say one thing specifically for people in the Northeast Mississippi area. I, he was so influential in this area of the country. He started ice house, a shirt factory, um, just all sorts of little businesses that I think, I haven't done the official research on it, but I really think it was helpful to keeping the economy from completely just wiping out during the Great Depression because he had built up these businesses. And while he died before the Great Depression, it was, I think, substantial for life here in Northeast Mississippi for all his just investment into the local community. And I think that's something people forget about. Like, yes, we all want to make a difference, but sometimes you can make the biggest difference in your local community and investing in the people that are around you. And another fun contribution, considering I'm from Tupelo, which is Elvis country, uh, Rainey had WC Handy Band, who is the father of the blues, come down from Memphis and play at his estate. And it's kind of a neat contribution to music as well. And just so showing that Rainey appreciated what was going on with music and not just film and wildlife, but also music and other aspects of research and new things that are going on in the world. So it's kind of a fun thing to just dig in and find out, you know, how did he invest in his local community and not just, it wasn't that he was off in Africa all the time hunting. He came home and invested in businesses and was a huge part of the economic success of Northeast Mississippi. That's great. And you've helped resurrect or rather redraw interest into this figure. I'm, you've piqued my interest in learning more about him because I love hearing about these lost historical figures There was even recently in one of the Yellowstone origin story spinoffs, kind of a nod to a big game tracker, someone who kind of reminds of a Paul J. Rainey, not Playboy or anything, but someone who goes there, an American who serves in World War I, goes there. I wonder if Taylor Sheridan, the Yellowstone creator, maybe had read into him a little bit and created a composite because it was really fascinating uh, to see that. Um, Even just the, the coincidence of it, just thinking about and hearing about Paul Rainey from you and then seeing that, I'm like, whoa, this is... Interesting coincidence, but not exactly because the character has a different name, of course, but maybe is a composite. Peyton, if people want to learn more about your research, follow what you've been up to, because you've done a lot also in politics and you've been a CNS News 
Capitol Hill reporter, a similar position that I was in about 10 years ago myself, and I was able to mentor you this past semester. Where could people go to follow and support your research first off, and then also connect with you on social media? Yeah, for sure. I actually run an Instagram account called just at Paul J. Rainey, no spaces. So, and Rainey is R-A-I-N-E-Y. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much where I'm documenting my research and just kind of giving people an inside view of research. I think a lot of people and myself included until this project, I didn't really know what research was. It's like, Oh, what is research? What do you do? Where do you find this information? And I've been learning how to go to an archive and how to go through folders and documents and get help from professionals. And I've been documenting some of that journey on that Instagram account as well, because I think it's something so many People, everyday people don't know you can go to the National Archives and you can do this research or you can go to I was in Brunswick, Maine a couple last week just digging through documents about the Arctic and what was going on up there and you know just all the things that Rainey was involved in it's really fun to be able to do this research and that's where I'm documenting everything is on that Instagram account and you have some personal accounts too if you want to send people those uh to your accounts, I'd be happy to include it also in the show notes. Um, where do you want people to read your research? Any other collectibles or, or perhaps printed works about Paul Rainey or any of your other published works? Sure. So my thesis, it's, it is academic. It's not written for an audience, a readable audience per se. It's definitely written as an academic work, but it is uh, found. I published it through Liberty University, their scholars crossing, and you can find the link, um, below, I guess, grab your all, share it. And it's, it's a fun read, but it is definitely academic, just word of warning there. And I also, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all the places, Twitter, and uh, definitely would love to connect with anyone who maybe even knows something about Paul Rainey. And I didn't even mention some of the other stuff he is involved in, whether that be yacht racing and steeplechasing and polo. And he was, I, I still have yet to find evidence. I've just heard people mention he was apparently captain of the Harvard polo team, even though Harvard has said they have no uh, documents of their polo team. So I don't know if that was true or not, but it is very fascinating to keep digging and finding information and seeing, you know, where all did he end up being involved? And I will encourage everyone also to, I'm going to link to this really exceptional interview you did with your local paper, the Daily Journal out of Mississippi. And they chronicled your journey into this research project on Paul J. Rainey and giving life to him or giving him a second look rather through your inquiry and research. So I want people to also know and read this article because it does a great job of encapsulating your work thus far. Peyton, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I hope this piques people's interest in learning about Paul Rainey, supporting your scholarship. You never know who listens to my show. I have plenty of people who listen. And so I hope anyone chiming in and, and tuning in does take an interest in your work. I know lots of people I told you in the outdoor industry who could possibly good be good connections to you for yeah. supporting your work in Paul Rainey because outdoor communicators are looking for stories. And if you ever get down to writing a book and you need a f area to, to advertise it or to promote it, um, the organization that I work for is always seeking new writers too, even those who are not endemic necessarily to the outdoor industry. So you have plenty of opportunities and I will help you whatever way I can. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And I really am excited to get Paul Rainey out there to the world. So people start talking about him and piquing an interest and hopefully being able to discover lost information that even I hadn't been able to discover. So it's been a fun research project. 
I've enjoyed it. And the research continues because I can't stop. It's just so fascinating. (laughs) Best of luck to you, Peyton. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't already, make sure you find us on your preferred podcast player. We largely circulate on Apple, Spotify, and countless others, but those are our two big podcast platforms we want to push. Make sure you're subscribed there, especially on Apple. If you like the podcast a lot, go leave us some reviews. We'd be more than grateful to get some five-star reviews from you guys. Moreover, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and a little bit on YouTube. We don't populate there, but connect with us on social media. Find me personally on social media with blue check marks. Super easy to find, and I would love to hear your feedback and know who you'd like to see on the podcast. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. Stay tuned for the next episode.